just the sacrifices that you have to make as a young person to, you can't just go party and travel Europe and do all these cool things that you see all these older people doing and expect that you're going to be them when you're older because you're not. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey investors, it is Sarah Larby and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Now you're probably listening to this, it's probably sometime in June, the weather is awesome, summer is starting. I will say, whatever you do, don't take your foot off the gas pedal. The best time to find deals is when no one else is really looking because they're all on vacation. But, so that could be the summer, but it could also be the winter, Christmas, or New Year's. It's a really great time to find opportunities. And I wanted to talk about that because our guest, Tyler Vanderwood, who is a millennial real estate investor, is a true hustler, like he's got some side businesses, he's just always going and looking for opportunities and getting the opportunities when not everybody may be looking at that time. And his second property, I mean, he's he went out and he knocked on doors and that's how he found some of his properties that he was able to purchase. It's not always going to be on MLS. The best deals are usually off market. And this podcast episode is another one that I did with my good friend, Sarah Eder. We did a few, we did about, you know, six or seven of them. And uh, I'm just kind of starting to air them at this point. We wanted to showcase millennial success and there's success in different ages. It doesn't matter how old you are, but I, I did want to feature a few young millennials doing real estate investing successfully, going out there taking action, getting the knowledge that they need, taking action. And as you guys know, it is 90% mindset at the end of the day. And Tyler is a great example of that. So really excited to have him on the show. And guys, if you do enjoy the podcast, let me know if you have a request for a specific topic. I would love to hear what you guys would like to, to learn about because this podcast is for you first and foremost and for you to be able to grow your real estate investing and your success. So super excited about today's podcast and hope you guys enjoy it too. All right. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a fantastic guest. Tyler is here with us today. He's a millennial investor and entrepreneur. He's only 25 years old. He's doing some house hacking, which we'll let him get into and tell you a bit about what he's been doing there. His wife is also the owner of a hair salon. They're definitely entrepreneurs trying to beat the system, get away from that nine to five. So welcome, Tyler. Hey. Great. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Right awesome. On. So Tyler and us, we actually met at a networking event and Tyler was networking and this is how you meet others that are like-minded. And we started talking about house hacking because there's a lot of millennials out there that don't even know how to become homeowners. And Tyler was able to do it and did it one of the smartest possible ways. He's renting one unit and living in the other and having the rent offsets the mortgage, the taxes, possibly, probably covering the majority of your costs. So I mean, we want to hear more about that. Tell us how you got started. Yeah. So, I mean, we started in a pretty hot market and it was kind of intimidating as a young person 
you know, obviously, like you guys know, there's a lot of negative feedback from everybody. But yeah, my wife and I decided to buy a house as an investment as opposed to just buying ourselves a, a home to live in. We thought that you got to kind of try to get ahead in the world because it's, uh, it's not always easy. So yeah, so we bought a house, actually had a set up basement apartment. When we got married, we actually lived in the, in the upstairs and rented out our basement. It worked really well. We had really good tenants, a really good experience, and we knew it was something that we wanted to like keep doing because, yeah, I mean, it, it was great. Paid for our mortgage, paid for our expenses. And the way we looked at it was we could either rent something or buy something, and the cost of living in that house would basically be what it would cost to rent something else. Yeah, or we could buy something and have somebody help us basically bring our rent costs down, our cost of living. So it worked really well the first time. So we looked for a second place and ended up doing it again and keeping the other house. And yeah, I mean, the cheaper you, you know, well, the more units you have, the cheaper you're living. So that's kind of our, our real estate story. And we kind of keep our eye out for all sorts of different investment opportunities. And I mean, there's, we looked at student rentals just a while ago and now we're looking at a commercial building nice. can make happen. Very cool. So a lot of people are wondering, probably, as a millennial, a 25-year-old, how did you save for the first property? Like, how much did you have to put down? How much was that in dollars? And how did you go ahead and do all that financing portion of it? Work really hard. <laughs> I wish I had known from being younger that I wanted to do this when I was 20. I think it was 20 or 22 when we bought my first house. Then I probably would have set more money aside and actually had a purpose for it. Uh, we didn't have enough for 20% down on our house, and I actually had some help from my dad, I believe, um, to get in our first property, which I think is fairly common for a young person because the market's expensive. And we bought while well, the market was pretty hot a few summers ago, and people told us we were crazy and said, well, it's as hot as it's going to get, and the market's coming down. It's not going back up. So, I mean, we felt like we were kind of blazing a trail and being against everyone's wishes, but it really worked out because the market kept going up, and, and we kept making money basically after we bought. So the initial down payment was a combination of all different investments that we had or money that we had pooled, RRSPs. And, but you have a lot more flexibility on your first house than you do on your next one. So that was easier. And in a lot of other people's minds, they give you advice for this, these kinds of things because they can see you buying a first house with the second one. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, like a lot of other people, our first one, we weren't really sure what we were doing. We didn't really have a good team we didn't really do real estate investing as a thing. So our mortgage wasn't set up properly and a lot of other issues. But So when you say your mortgage wasn't set up properly, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. uh, we had a very, I guess once you get into it, the mortgage was basically just a residential mortgage, something that someone would want if they were buying and holding it and living there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. They like to lock you in with different things. Uh, refinancing is not as easy. Getting a line of credit is not as easy. There's just a lot of fees that go along with having a terrible mortgage even though it was a great rate. Right. Which is always the lure, right? They say, oh, look, go for the best rate, but they don't tell you about all the other stuff on the backside, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's so hard even just to get past that in your own mind that you see dollars basically when right. interest rate and it's hard to give up $20,000, $30,000 to get that flexibility when you don't really know if you're going to do anything, right? Yeah. One of the, the biggest beginner questions I think when people are looking for financing and rates is what is the rate and it's not as important as what are the terms I mean yeah. Tyler you said it really well so something like for example having to put 20% down instead of 25 or 30 matters 
something like having the flexibility to refinance your mortgage so that you can pull out equity and keep going also matters. 25-year versus 30-year amortization. Those are all things that are really important as an investor to factor in because the difference between a 3% or a 3.5% or 3.8%, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all cheap money. It's so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But if you're really truly looking at scaling up, it's about the terms, not the rates. Which is kind of something new for our generation too. That's why I kind of, I like this idea. This podcast is great because when I talk to even a lot of professionals in like, like mortgage brokers, real estate agents, there are a lot of like, if you're 40, you don't understand that the interest rates are this low now. There's different things that have happened in the world that our parents don't even understand. Like when they had their mortgage, it was like 15% or seven, even seven or 8%. That's a big difference. Like that's like, if you're looking at three or 3.8, like that's really, to us it's huge, but to them it's whatever, right? That's nothing. Absolutely. What did your parents tell you? So when you said you want to buy a house and you want to buy a second house, like what kind of advice did you get from them? Not a lot of advice. I mean, definitely they say, well, most people say that your first house is a good investment. It's always the, your biggest asset. So buying a first house wasn't the problem. Second house is when people start raising red flags and they're like, why do you need a second house? You don't, you know, you can't afford that. You can't like, they just look at the debt, right? And they, they can't handle it. I've actually talked them around my way more than the other way. So I actually bought a student rental a while ago too. So, which is really encouraging. It's good. Like to see people kind of embrace it, but step outside that comfort zone. Yeah. So definitely a lot of resistance though. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she's works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, 
You can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. So in terms of you buying now your second property, how did you guys go about that? Like, did you do like a burr or did you like refinance and pull out equity? Did you guys save for like a second down payment? How did you guys work that out? Yeah, we spent about a year in our first house. So we had a little bit of money saved up. I wouldn't say a ton. Like I said, we had, we had some what you want to call gifted money for the first one. The second one, we did a refinance, a full refinance on our first house. But the market was doing really well. So a year later, we had actually done really well on it. And we also did a couple of renos. The house was worth a little bit more. I did some landscaping. It was The curb appeal was up a bit. So we were able to pull out a significant portion. But we had to put 20% down on our second one. I had some help from my dad again. And then we basically just, yeah, we put 20% down between those things and uh, got the deal done without too much real estate agent involvement. So it saved us a bit of money there too. So what do you mean by that? Well, he was actually looking to sell. He was looking to list with an agent that he had. But before he could do that, before they had signed anything, we actually just knocked on his door one night and sat down with him and we did a deal and we split the commission, basically, what would have been charged. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he ended up actually paying his agent, but we didn't get an agent involved. So a little bit of savings there and kind of lucked out with what the deal was. He was kind of looking to get rid of it. It needed some renovations. He wasn't really ready to do that. And yeah, it's just a good situation. Sarah is a master of that. Sarah buys a lot of properties <laughs> just by talking to people on Kijiji. Actually, we were at, at the cottage <laughs> and she had a four unit plus a three unit to go and look at from one owner that you found on Kijiji. I'll let you tell the story, but it is, it is pretty cool. Like this girl is always doing business. When we're drinking at the cottage, she's still looking for deals, private deals. I noticed that on Saturday you were looking too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I just, I make it a habit religiously to look where a lot of people don't. Most people think to look on Kijiji for their own personal house. I troll for, a lot of people post multi-res, power of sale, random uh, stuff like that. And even in instances where I haven't purchased the property, my best JV money partner came from a Kijiji lead. I went and saw his private open house. He was doing a vendor take back mortgage. I didn't buy his house, but I actually convinced him to future deals with me. So you never know like what you can find on Kijiji. (laughs) It's true. Well, there's lots of good people and lots of people looking for stuff just like us, right? And really know where you're going to get. I'm a big fan of just stopping on the side of the road when I see a sign that something's for sale. And I'll just talk to them. Knock on the door and see what happens. Usually they they haven't heard from anybody and they're just excited. So Very cool. And you know, a vendor take TV, just so that you guys know what that is, a vendor take back, it's essentially when the seller, the mortgage for you. So they're acting as the bank. So you're not having to go to the bank to get that financing. They're holding it. And oftentimes you can negotiate the down payment with them as if they were the bank. So it is a really cool strategy. And and you're looking, like, looking to do one. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you're like me and you can't qualify for conventional mortgages, when you see a vendor take back, it's so exciting because usually they ask for a lot less down and you don't have to go through traditional bank qualification. So they usually don't even ask for anything. Half the time they don't even check my credit. (laughs) No, no. How many, have you done any? How many have you done? Three. 
Well, that's good. Yeah, so, they're out here. there. You just have to keep trolling on Kijiji. You'll find them. <laughs> that's unreal. That's yeah. good. I have it. I'm, I want to propose it to somebody that I know that, well, we rent the building off of them for the salon. I they told us that already that they would sell the building. They're they're an older couple. Okay, have and a lot of equity in it. Then. They have tons of equity in it. Yeah. Yeah. I had the mortgage broker do a purview on it, so I know what they have has a lien on it. So they'll make a fortune, and I can't see a reason why they would need the money right away. So this will be something that hopefully we approach them with, and they're they're happy to take a good interest rate. Tyler, there's a lot of people listening to this that are probably wondering, what did Tyler just say? What is purview? I think it's important because until probably a couple of years ago, I also had no idea what a purview report was. Do you mind taking just a few seconds and just sharing what it is? Yeah, basically, oh, I don't know what what's the what's the name for the other one that you could that real real estate agents can pull? Geo warehouse. Yeah, geo warehouse. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that is that just online you can use? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's great. I can only have ever done one, but. Tax information, um, what they purchase it for, the assessments, everything. Yeah, right, right. What's the monthly cost of that, right, Sarah? For your, an agent gets it with their brokerage fee that they pay to be like a realtor, on Ontario at least. If you are just an average person and you want access to Geo Warehouse, it is $1,500 per month. Wow. So, yeah, it's really so intense. Yeah. So, so your mortgage, mortgage broker can likely if you have a good mortgage broker, can pull up what's called a purview. And a purview is basically just all the details on the house that they can access. So they have they have property information. So how many acres is the property is, what the zoning is. Hopefully that's correct. <laughs> Usually it is. And then what it, what it sold for, who's owned it in the past years. And then you'll be able to tell based on that information if it was a flip at some point, if somebody just bought it, sold it right away. Then also if somebody's held onto it for 30 years and not really done anything to it. Yeah, I think the the golden information is how long ago they purchased it, like how much the house was paid for, estimate how much they still owe, and who it is as well, because you're going to now be able to go and find those people, call them. Like, this is how a lot of multifamily deals get done is by these purview reports. They Mm -hmm. see the building and they target it and get a purview report. Then all of a sudden they know who owns it, how long, how much. So, a lot of insights that allow you to contact them directly. Yeah, and there's other things like you can see how many liens are on the building. So you'll know if, if they owe a lot more than the building's worth. Generally, anyways, if there's a few liens in different positions on the building, so say they have construction liens from a construction project that went badly, that's all on there. So that, that gives you a good idea of at least what the situation is before you get into a deal, before you approach anybody. And it's something that you can do without even talking to the owner. So go in a little bit more educated, which is good. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to talk about the rest of your portfolio. You have a, you're looking at student rentals, you've got a business in Grimsby. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because if you don't have just the one or, or two houses, you've got other stuff going on in your life. <laughs> got too much stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's always tons of stuff going on. And real estate to me is, is a good, I mean, I'm into real estate, maybe too much for some people's liking, but real estate's just one method of investing, basically, right? we've kind of figured out that for someone kind of sucks because, you know, then you can't be at home and you can't do the things you want to do and you go on vacation every week. So my wife was working at a salon for about seven or eight years for somebody. And yeah, I mean, every day you come home and complain because that's what you do when you work for somebody. So I scour around Kijiji a lot and I just happened to find this lady who was looking to rent out a 
It was a former salon. She actually owned it for forever. She's 65. She was kind of getting out of it. But she wanted a salon to come in there and she wanted a situation where she could continue to do some of her clients there. She didn't want to have to put like a salon chair in her house or anything like that. So he just kind of approached her and said, well, okay, well, let's make this work for both of us. And my wife moved from Smithville, which is out in the country there, to Grimsby, which is not very far away. It's probably about 15 to 20 minutes. So a lot of her clients came over with her. She was able to keep a lot of her business alive. And we started a new brand, got the website going, did the whole the whole business plan thing and everything. And yeah, we were able to do it fairly cheap because of the situation that we found. And, and the lady was willing to help us out. Rent was super cheap. So we just kind of, that was a, just an amazing opportunity. We weren't even really looking for it. And uh, it just kind of happened. So a year, actually today. A year. Oh, congratulations. So, but yeah, so it, it's been going good. It's still alive. So. So yeah, that's just um, that's just another thing in the portfolio, I guess. It's not always easy, but that's a good active income as opposed to passive income that real estate gives you. Right. So so what's your next plan? What's the next big goal in your life? What are you working on next? I want to quit work. <laughs> oh, um, an excellent goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to start a business and get out of what I'm doing. Give myself a little more time. When you work for somebody, you don't have the time to do a lot of this real estate stuff. So I like to talk to people at these real estate get-togethers, all these networking events, and find out what they do. I know I was chatting with um, the right club, and he is an HVAC guy, Michael. You probably know. Oh yeah. So he does piecework. So he can do his work whenever he wants. And I thought that was brilliant because he has time for networking events. He has time to go see houses. He has time to meet with his accountants and everything, right? So that's kind of the freedom that I want to be able to take off work and go do what I want to do. And I think you, you make more money and you are more successful when you're doing things that actually can make you money as opposed to fielding phone calls that no bearing on your life, right? Without telling us the company, what, like, what is it that you actually do for work? The company sells commercial doors. So okay. stuff that we need to make two units, that's what we sell. It's a very code-based company in the construction world and the commercial world. So, yeah, it's it's a fairly lucrative business. But when you work for somebody, you don't see a lot of that. So <laughs> that mindset, where does that come from? Like the mindset of being an entrepreneur and trying, getting, trying to get to your own business and creating passive income. Like where does that stem from? It's a good question. <laughs> but that's really why what this whole podcast is about, I think. It's like, you know, helping young people figure that out basically, right? Like I, so I took business in university. I have a degree in business, but that's like, seems impressive to some people, but really that doesn't mean a whole lot. I took a lot of marketing and HR classes and stuff like that. So I have a good broad base of knowledge, but it's not that I, somebody taught me how to be rich or taught me how to succeed when I got out of school. Cause really, it's really hard to get a job anyways. But I think I started reading like books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just educational books like that that kind of changed the way you think about life, that it shows you that saving wasn't necessarily the best option, that getting a job, having a career, like I don't really like the word career, it's kind of awful, having a career and then setting aside money into an RRSP and then having a savings plan and blah, 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 that just doesn't seem to work anymore. The rates are too low, you don't make money, you're losing it when you uh, are just sitting there, inflation stealing it from you, and the government plans aren't as good as they used to be. That's true. Everything, right? So as a millennial, I was like, well, I can't just sit around. I've got to kind of come up with a way that my money is going to make me money. So that's kind of how I got into real estate. And that's kind of why I, I 
think like an entrepreneur a little bit because I I think every time I get out of bed and do something, you know, it's got to be kind of contributing to a portfolio that's going to be there down the road, not something that's just going to get me a paycheck and then a bank account somewhere. So very smart mindset. <laughs> Well, I could think so, but. Yeah. Well, this is great. I mean, like I said, like, this is exactly what the podcast is about. And I feel like our generation is so unique because we like value to what we do in our day. And we're not satisfied like our parents' generation to just get that pension, just get that paycheck, right? We want to contribute and, and we don't want caps and limits on what we can achieve. So I think it's so impressive that at 25 years old, you already have two properties, your own business. It's really inspiring. So what sort of advice would you give to millennials listening to this podcast to take those steps towards buying your first property or maybe even that leap of like quitting their corporate job? Well, if you're going to buy a house, don't quit your job. That's true. The bank won't like that one bit. You need your job, at least for a little um, bit. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Dahlia said that the other weekend. She said, hang on to your job as long as you can if you're looking to invest in real estate long term. This is Dahlia Barsu, for those of you that are wondering. Our yes, she's, <laughs> she's a fantastic mortgage broker. Our superstar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as advice, though, I would say you have to have a mindset that you want to succeed but not just in a career, like not just in a job. You have to start listening to what I like to call disruptive thinkers, like people who say things that you think are just crazy. Start listening to what they're saying. And a lot of them are crazy. Some people like like what Rich Dad Poor Dad says, Robert Kiyosaki. He has good points just about money doesn't make you money just sitting there. You have to do something with it. Just the sacrifices that you have to make as a young person to, you can't just, go party and travel Europe and do all these cool things that you see all these older people doing and expect that you're going to be them when you're older because you're not. There's a lot of things that you have to do when you're young and you got to work really hard to grow your portfolio. And then hopefully later on, when, maybe when you talk to me when I'm 40, I'll be doing some of these cool things. So. Okay. Awesome. So that's good. You actually, so we actually have a lightning round we were going to get to, and you pretty much answered question number one, what's your best millennial life hack? <laughs> yeah. But if you want to narrow it down to one thing, mm. like if you had one piece of advice, like in like a few words for millennials, like what should they factor in most? Mm. I would say give up going to Tim Hortons every day and start thinking about where every penny goes. Make those little sacrifices every day and your mindset will change. You won't think about your coffee. You'll think about the big picture of where that money's going. And Absolutely. It's going to change how you think and how, how your life turns out, basically. Right. So, Tyler, number, question number two of the lightning round while we're there. What's your favorite app? Is there an app that you use on your phone or your computer that you could not live without? Instagram. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. right. I'll open my phone. Probably my calendar, but, I mean, that's, that's not a good app. Okay, it keeps you organized, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I got too much stuff going on. Like this week is completely booked. Last week was and pretty much booking next week already. Every little thing, like I just book in, like if somebody said they had a house available, hey, you should come see it. I'll just book it in. I'll be like, hey, we're going to do that this day. Okay, let's do that. We're doing a podcast today. Yeah, all sorts of stuff going on. So, and when it's not work stuff, then I usually just schedule in hockey or some other fun thing. So I'm probably on the calendar most often. And then I don't really like my phone, so. All right. I'm not like a not like your typical millennial, I guess, but <laughs> the more you stay off your phone, the more you get done. I mean, unless it's 
phone calls, then then you're actually making money. So that is actually a great piece of advice. Sometimes the social media and all of the Facebook, yeah, all yeah. those things they take up time. And yeah, listen to listen to podcasts while you're driving, and then yes. call somebody. Exactly. Money, you know? Yeah. Like try to be as productive as you can for as long as you can, and you will move places in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Well, speaking of that, then I guess like the last question is, what is your favorite podcast that you like to listen to? I like to just listen to TED. I love listening to just TED Talks about random stuff. The more different ways of thinking about the world I can find, the better. I like to listen to like different professors from different universities and stuff like that. Listen to them for a week or two and then move on to the next guy, basically. Yeah, the more different viewpoints you can get on life the better then it gives you it just gives you ideas it gives you things to talk about with people when when you have nothing in common with them when you're at a networking event you know just it helps you kind of get through life i think yeah Um, great great feedback so tyler if somebody wanted to reach out to you how can they email you or how would somebody go about and reach out to you yeah shoot me i have a very professional email address tylervanderwood at hotmail.com but yeah, that works. <laughs> that's a grade four or something, right? <laughs> what about uh, like, are you on any social media? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram. I delete Facebook because it took up too much of my time. I feel you. But I do, I do the Instagram thing, but I don't think I have a single post, so I don't know if that helps. You're, you're too busy with your schedule, your hockey, the real estate, right. your, your all your businesses. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're busy doing things that will change your life. It's, it's all good. That's right. So, but yeah, people can people can call me if they want to get in touch with me, or just text me, and yeah, perfect. So I can leave you my number. <laughs> well, I'll get them to email you, and uh, and then you guys can go from there. There you go. Sounds good. Perfect. Awesome. Well, on that note, thank you very much, Tyler. You are an inspiration to all of the 25 year olds. Young people out there doing something with their lives. And like, I really do believe that people should look at real estate as an investment just as much as they're thinking about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, because real estate in many ways is probably less risk, more solid, more control. I mean, obviously, like I'm biased towards it because I've (laughs) worked well, but I definitely think that it should be spoken about and taught just as much as everything else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not, but it should be. Yeah. It definitely should be. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, thank for being so on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. It's been cool. Thanks. Bye. All right. See ya. Hey, guys. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but... As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, 
I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.